0: section three of the black cat volume one number six march eighteen ninety six this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox recording by Sonia. the black cat volume one number six march eighteen ninety six section three of course of course not by harry m peck they sat side by side on a big hearthrug gazing into the glowing coals the one was a young man of perhaps twenty-eight and the other an old dog of perhaps ten that's not a criticism on the poverty of the english language it simply shows how much more a dog can get out or perhaps put into ten years than a man they sat there anyway young or old young and old and they gazed into the coals and the young one blew great clouds of smoke out of a fragrant briarwood at the old one. But the old one did not mind. He was acclimated. It was in the cosy bachelor apartments of Neil Richards. Neil was a fellow who had succeeded, by dint of presumable study, money, and late nights, in getting through college in a commendable manner, seven years before. Since that time he had been engaged in the financial business, not exactly as a legitimate broker nor as a negotiator of loans nor again as a pawnbroker but in a pleasanter line which on a business letterhead if he had owned such a thing would have expressed something like this neil Richards, income spender pleasant street easyville anyway he had been travelling intermittently to improve himself as the phrase goes since the day he calmly and with the most approved senioric gravity tucked a sheepskin under his arm and discarded his cap and gown but after his latest peripatetic streak he was back again at last in new york in his old rooms in his favorite seat on the hearthrug with his dog beside him and in love the fellows at the club had said for several weeks past as richards would excuse himself get up and go out about nine o'clock evenings funny about neil isn't it he leaves us every night at nine o'clock and goes home and they say he sits down and talks to that old dog general of his till midnight guess he must be in love and the fellows were right neil was hopelessly fearfully and miserably in love her name was dorcas dorcas howland not a particularly pretty name nor a particularly pretty girl but a girl with such a wealth of sweetness tact common sense and intelligence that more would have made her a curiosity neil had seen her at what is known as a large affair one evening two months ago was presented murmured his platitudes had a waltz and immediately put her on a pedestal he had seen her a few times since once driving when he received a bow that kept him absent-minded for a week and on a few other occasions at the house of a friend where he had passed some of the shortest quarter-hours of his existence talking to her and that was as far as he had gone it isn't exactly strange then is it that when a man almost deifies a girl he has known only two months he should like to sit down on a hearthrug and talk to an old dog he has known for ten years a club and cocktails and gossip and late hours are no solace at all under such circumstances but we left them on the hearthrug gazing into the coals you see general it's like this i'm in love desperately in love and miss howland doesn't care a rap for me probably thinks i'm just like all the rest of them looking for her money when i'm really not you understand general that i'm not the general blinked sympathetically and looked hard at the coals neil threw an arm affectionately around the dog you see i like to tell you these things old boy because you never say anything about them there was silence for a few moments while richards meditatively pulled away at his pipe and the dog pensively thought of his puppyhood and its loves she's so sweet and dainty at last continued neil how she would brighten up a home for us wouldn't she general the dog turned his head and looking at his master reached one great paw over and laid it on richard's knee shake is it old man well here goes i thought you felt as i did now general you and i must scheme how to get her the dog thumped his tail appreciatively on the rug and they both went to work staring at the coals again and so they sat on neil solemnly meditative the general silently sympathetic it was a good hour later when neil's pipe had burned out and the dog's head had drowsily fallen against his shoulder that richards heard the elevator bell ring and a moment after the upward rush of the car then as the elevator stopped at his landing he heard the voice of old barker the janitor saying yes sir mr richards is always in nights now sir i am sure you will find him still up door to the right sir and do be careful sir not to go to the left as them's miss stephen's apartment, sir and no one is allowed to disturb her sir till i takes her up a cup of tea and a saucer of milk for the grey cat, sir at half after but the remainder of the old man's loquacity was muffled by the sound of voices (sighs) some of the boys come to drag me out on one of their infernal midnight romps i suppose said richards to himself with a discontented sigh they did that only three nights ago why can't they let a poor devil smoke his pipe in peace then as footsteps approached the door he arose and surveyed himself in a long mirror at the end of the room he did not look very presentable he admitted his hair was mussed, his clothes were full of tobacco ashes and he hadn't when he sat down even taken the trouble to don a lounging jacket Hence, was in his shirt sleeves ah but who cares Remarked Richards to himself, "If these stupid night hawks will come here at such an hour, they will have to take things as they find them. Suppose they will have something to drink, however." As he turned to the cabinet set in the side of the room with his back to the door and reached for decanters and glasses, a knock sounded and a cheery voice shouted, "O'Neill! Oh I say, Neil! I'm coming in. I'll come in, you infernal rounder, if you must." Was the reply. "Bring them all in. You are never alone." you and your gang are without exception the most unexcelled set of thoughtless revelling peace disturbers i know of you fellows have been at this thing for ten years continued neil you know you have bob still busy with the decanters don't you ever intend letting up why don't you fellows say something this is no monologue by this time richards had succeeded in extricating the troublesome decanters from the mass of bottles and glasses and turning around, faced the door to his amazement instead of the crowd of merry faces he had expected to see peering in at him he saw only two one was that of bob cutting his chum and the other was that of miss dorcas howland the door was wide open she stood a little in front cutting was in the doorway the gleam from the dying coals and the ruddy reflection from a lamp with a big red shade over in the corner brought out every detail of her face and figure and neil stood with a decanter in each hand coatless and must and speechless the silence did not last long however miss howland smiled bowed sweetly to neil and stepped into the room good evening mr richards she said and held out her hand neil managed in a dazed sort of a way to set down the decanter that was in his right hand without breaking it and accepted the proffered hand Bob Cutting looked on and smiled. Too astounded to speak, Mr. Richards, remarked the young woman. Well, an explanation certainly is due you. Then you may not think me so utterly indiscreet as appearances would seem to warrant. Mr. Cutting, will you kindly try to put matters straight and at the same time assure Mr. Richards that we are his guests? His accent, as I recollect it, is a pleasing one. For this is no monologue, you know, and she smiled pleasantly at Neil yes broke in cutting as miss howland paused you see neil it's like this it does look funny i admit but i was walking home with dorcas er miss howland from some working girls club she engineers and we were chatting about the picturesque bachelor apartments or rather i was describing some of them to her that i know the best and i struck yours i think i must have grown very eloquent in my description for miss howland insisted that she must see these famous apartments of which by the way all the girls have heard knowing it would be all right as far as you were concerned i proposed we come over to-night and make you a call though as he looked ruefully round the room i really didn't think she'd come neil during the recital had quite recovered himself and privately decided that if a man and a girl were willing to take the social risk he surely could meet them halfway. so he calmly placed the other decanter on a table and turning to them remarked i'm very glad to see you this is a little bit out of the ordinary but the unexpected is quite often the pleasantest won't you sit down miss howland i am extremely sorry that your visit to my den couldn't have been made under more favourable circumstances at one of my little teas for instance under other than the present circumstances i should feel that an apology was due you for my personal appearance i am quite aware that i have no coat on that my hair is mussed and that i have a general and violent attack of the malady bachelor at homeness however i shan't apologize and then the democratic neil pulled up two big arm-chairs and having seen his guests cosily seated before the replenished fire calmly and coatlessly resumed his place on the hearthrug beside the general miss howland looked surprised but said nothing then she reached over and patted the silky head of the dog he took the caress in a dignified sort of way but nestled closer, if possible, to Richards. What a handsome fellow, she softly said, and how much he thinks of his master, she added to herself. The three chatted away together about bachelor dance, people, and other generalities for some time, when suddenly Miss Howland rose, and turning to Cutting, said, I wonder if you'd mind granting me one more favour. I wish to have a little talk with Mr Richards, alone. She paused a moment. I know it's unconventional but the rest of this is also and i know you won't take it amiss will you not at all cutting answered suppose i manipulate the ivories while you have your talk don't feel that it must be abbreviated on my account but when you get through why do as they do in the place ring for me and like the footman i'll appear is it feasible quite so thank you answered the girl it's so good of you and with a pipe in one hand and a tobacco jar in the other bob vanished through the portières and a moment later the click of billiard balls announced that he had found occupation the girl turned to richards he had risen with cutting and had now donned the japanese smoking jacket in which somehow he felt better equipped for his strange tête-à-tête as his eyes sought hers she looked him frankly in the face and simply asked mr richards what do you think of me richards was silent for a moment and then with his eyes on the dog at his feet said shall i tell you frankly yes please do answered the girl he looked up i think you have lots of courage are a bit injudicious and of course did not come here without reasons she smiled you are frank but don't you think it rude to assume the role of inquisitor in your first remark but you asked me didn't you he gently replied yes i suppose so she said she stood absently looking down at shaggy general sleeping peacefully on the hearthrug richards watched her a minute and then stepping forward said softly please sit down miss howland and then you can tell me as much as you wish a grateful look flashed into her face as she took the big chair he offered her and sank into it a little wearily leading back she scrutinized the well-cut thoughtful face of the man he had taken his place beside the dog again and as he sat staring at the coals in the flickering firelight, he seemed even handsomer than ever. She looked at him a moment, and, without moving, said, Mr. Richards, I've come here tonight on a queer mission. I wish advice. I wish to tell you something about myself, and then I want you to advise me as to what you think I ought to do. I have come to you under circumstances peculiar, to say the least, for these reasons. First, because what i have seen of you has led me to think you honest frank and sincere second because your friends assure me i am right this has led me to believe you will be willing to overlook what might be construed as unwomanly and in addition will be willing to help me in trouble am i right she hesitatingly asked yes miss howland you are he replied people who know anything about you could not misinterpret your actions don't think circumstances affect me but just tell me plainly what i can do for you i thought you would take it so she said in a tone of relief and now i'll tell you what i wish to and pray don't regard it as a girl's whim as a peculiar girl's whim but simply try to assume the role of a willing listener and an impartial adviser you see she continued i have no one to go to i am alone in the world my parents are both dead and I live with an elderly aunt who is as good to me as anyone could be, but with whom I have absolutely nothing in common. The girl smiled thoughtfully. She likes her tea and cat, her goldsmith and thackeray, early hours, and to be left alone. I am different. She is sixty-eight, and that's the reason I presume. Besides, she was never married. And now, Mr. Riches, I have come to the place where I hardly know what to say. It's about my marrying a funny thing to consult you about isn't it you see ever since i was a child it has been taken for granted that when i grew up i should marry a certain individual my parents both seemed to consider it a settled matter my aunt the same and i suppose as a child i followed the general example that man was bob cutting we played together as children living in adjacent houses and virtually grew up together i remember we used to have mock marriage ceremonies at which he and i always figured as the principals with some other youngster as the clergyman and we always looked forward to the time when as grown-ups our marriage might be made real so matters drifted along the children's play stopped a good many years ago but bob has kept coming to see me just the same and now well he wishes to carry out in earnest what was begun in play A few nights ago he asked me to be his wife. The girl leaned forward and absently smoothed the general's head as he lay there watching the coals. Presently she said, Mr. Richards, then, and not till then, did I find I did not love him. But, she added, I did not tell him so. I said only, we've been friends since we were children. Come to me next Sunday night, and I will give you my answer. For a moment she sat without speaking then she concluded, Mr. Richards, you are Bob Cutting's dearest friend. He hasn't but one friend like you. No man has, no man can have, no man wishes more. I come to you and ask you, who know him so well, what shall I do? Shall I tell him Sunday night that I'll marry him, or shall I say no? Is it selfish in a girl placed as I am to think of her own future, or ought I to give it up to him? He has been good to me so good to me i like him but i do not love him and then she leaned wearily back in her chair and fixed her eyes on richards he did not look up he did not seem to realize her presence she watched him and he watched the red embers glow crumble and fade into ashes the dog whined in his sleep then finally richards raised his head and quietly said miss howland I think it would be very wrong for you to marry bob as you say i know him well he is a fellow with such a wealth of love for those he cares for that if he finds it is not reciprocated he is miserable think what a lifetime of it would mean to him and now you see in what i've said so far i've considered only bob i think you also ought to consider yourself two lives are involved and why should they both be ruined you are both young if i were you i should tell bob in the kindest possible way that i did not love him he will grieve at first but i think when he finds out you were not for him he will see that it's for the best and afterward will thank you and as for yourself miss howland when you've done this you can say i've done my duty i've done right and some day the man hesitated and some day perhaps some other good man will come along and ask you to marry him and perhaps you'll find you care a great deal for him and the past with its bob and its trouble and again he hesitated and its visit to richards and the general will be a ghostly vision which happiness and sunshine will soon wipe away at this point he was interrupted suddenly by the general who as though scenting some vague trouble started up with a sleepy woof the sound relieved the tension of the situation both laughed and miss howland rising reached out her hand to richards who now stood facing her thank you she said cordially you've been very good you'll return my visit some time won't you and now suppose we ring the bell for bob nodding towards an oriental gong that hung suspended near the mantel richards took her hand and holding it a moment said quietly i thank you i will come but before you go i want to ask you just one question don't answer it unless you wish to you told me that you don't love bob is it is it because there's someone else they say that a man's life and hopes and ambitions can be snuffed out by a woman's reply and they also say that a man's future can be made all sunshine and promise if hope can only enter it and that sometimes comes from a woman's reply also she waited a moment and then replied firmly no there is no one else a moment later cutting joined them in response to richard's summons as he stood before the fire pulling on his gloves he looked at each good-humouredly and said i'm awfully glad that you have become better acquainted but i hope you haven't been engaged in the pleasing occupation of damning a mutual friend i see you've made friends with general also miss howland he concluded for the dog stood beside the girl watching and waiting for a caress yes she replied general and i are the best of friends and she leaned over and softly patted the handsome head and general's master and i are going to be too are we not mr richards yes we are going to be that is i hope so richards said slowly the next moment the door closed and she was gone and richards picked up a pipe and lit it and turning to the dog thoughtfully remarked and so endeth the first lesson of course it's obvious love does not need to be diagrammed and of course a year later when the big brownstone had its awning and its carpeted steps and its music and its flowers all was quite as it should be and of course their friends heard the Mendelssohn march and threw rice and wished them joy and bob cutting was the best man of course not and did the Mother Grundy shrug their white shoulders and say, What a beautiful bride! But I wonder how she could have done it. They say she was engaged to another. Of course they did. And that is love, and about the way it generally turns out. Of course. End of section 3